Blog Talk Radio. Wonderful day to you. This is Ann White founder of the Creating Calm Network, and I am with Kimberly Burnham, who has been pedaling across America to bring awareness to sustainable agriculture for her zone, and she started in Washington State. I am finding her in Indiana. We'll find out exactly where she is in Indiana, and she has been calling in, number one, to keep track with our Monday morning coffee show, but also to let us know about sustainable agriculture and about some of the thoughts that she has had time to think about because when you are pedaling for 100 miles a day, there is certainly plenty of time to think. So, Kimberly, welcome to Creating Calm Network and Monday Morning Coffee. It's nice to have you with us again. Oh, I'm so glad to be here and. Thank you so much for uh, for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Kimberly, tell us where you are and anything that you want to highlight about getting to this point of somewhere in Indiana. Yes, I'm in Indianapolis uh, today, and uh, I had a, a really amazing day yesterday. Um, one of the other writers and I, Bernie Lofty, um rode in the truck uh, from Lafayette, uh, Indiana into Indianapolis, and then we just got our bikes off the truck and uh, rode around the city. And one of the reasons that we did that is that we had had enough of the miles and miles and miles of uh, genetically modified corn and soybeans. There's just like you wouldn't mm. believe the the miles and miles. And one of the things that that I find interesting and a little bit disturbing is that when you see these fields of corn, and we saw a lot of sweet corn in in the past through uh, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Illinois, we've seen a lot of, um, or Minnesota, I was going to say, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. um, we've seen a lot of uh, field corn that's used for ethanol and for animal feed. But coming into Indiana, we're seeing a lot more sweet corn. And you would think, wow, there's sweet corn for human consumption. But one of the main things that it's used for is high fructose corn syrup. Mm-hmm. And then we're seeing a lot of uh, soybeans. And one of the things that's that's a little bit disconcerting, a little bit odd, is that you look out over these fields and... They're so precise. The rows are very exact. And the size of the plant, whether it's corn or soybean, is exactly the same. Wow. So that you see this uniformity. Like There's no differences between the individual plants. It's this uniformity that, frankly, looking out into what you would think is a natural environment, um, it's a little bit disturbing to see the uniformity and the lack of individuality. Um, if you if you look out onto a, a, an area, a forest, or an area where there's weeds or um, a, a field with uh, wildflowers, you know, there's such diversity, there's such differences between each part of that scene that you look at 
and I think a lot of benefit in uh, diversity. Right. So, you know, in a sense, what we're going to be talking about today really is symbolic of what you just said when you look at the genetically modified corn, which perhaps it's beautiful to one eye because it's all just pure manicured, but it's very unnatural because that's not how nature is in that sense. Wow. Right. Yeah. And and one of the things that I've been thinking about, as you mentioned, I have miles and miles of of time to think as I'm pedaling across the country. And I, I think i just um, broken... Uh, 2,300 miles since I left uh, Seattle uh, riding my bicycle. Um, mm. And one of the things that I've been thinking about is how I think each of us, maybe it's just me, but I think each of us have this sense within our being of otherness, of being different. And sometimes we can let those differences uh, create fear, certainly fear of not being accepted, fear of not being loved when it's coming from us, or fear of other people that are different uh, from us. And that sometimes we will bond together, a group of people who are different, different from the the surrounding people, can sometimes bond together into a community um, and bond around that difference, that feeling of being different in some aspect. And sometimes we can let it alienate us and separate us from people who really aren't so different, but, you know, if we feel really different, um, we can let that alienate us. So I think there's a lot of good and challenges that... uh, uh, feeling different can bring into our lives. Right. What do you think the positive part is there of feeling different? Well, I think one of the positive parts of feeling different is um, to to know that, recognize that we have skills and experience that are unique. And because we have skills and experiences that are unique, we have something to share, something to teach, something to help other people with. And if we can recognize the the differences, the unique uh, talents and experiences in other people, then we can learn from from those people. You know, I, I think about this group that I'm traveling with um, it's Hazon is a Jewish organization, and um, I'm the only person who's not uh, actually converted to Judaism or was not born Jewish. Um, and so I feel that difference, but also this is a group of people who are in many ways very different from each other in the way that they observe their relationship to God and the universe um, so that everyone in the group really is different. And sometimes I feel my difference, but I also see that everyone's different. And, you know, I feel very accepted. And I and you're bonded that, together, and you've bonded together for a common cause. You've got the commonality of supporting 
sustainable and healthy agriculture. Right, so that we have differences, but we also have uh, a bond over uh, a cause, uh, you know, sustainable agriculture and understanding and sharing with other people where our food comes from is important to all of us. And, you know, within this group and uh, to the people that we talk to along the way. And so because we're each unique, then we have unique things to share and, and perspectives and way, ways to uh, share that information. Yeah. Kimberly, I think, too, one of the main challenges when one comes to understand that you're different is, or that we each are different, and, you know, you're saying the positive is having the unique things to share with the world, but it's being able to honor that because I was thinking as a little girl, we were military. You, you traveled a lot as well, but my travel experiences were not positive because I was always the new kid and I was very shy. And I can remember once in a cafeteria sitting there at lunch with everybody and I went under the table just so I could cry and nobody would see me. I think I was in first grade and I had these long braids and I'm wiping my tears with my braids because I couldn't honor being different. You know, as a kid, it took a while to when I grew up and just said, you know, it's okay to be different, when you can honor it and say, that's how I am. Does that make right. sense? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, when we try to hide it, I guess, when we try to hide it and pretend we're normal or pretend we fit in when we really don't. So it's a matter of trying to honor who we are and realize our gifts are special, even if they are different. Right. And, you know, if you if you think about any community, if if in a town everybody wanted to be a doctor and nobody wanted to be the firefighter or the policeman or the teacher or the artist, um, that town would not would not function. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That that you wouldn't have the diversity, yeah, necessary, yeah. Right. That if everybody wants to do the same thing and be the same thing, um, that community can't really function as a community. Um, and so I think the, the really good thing that we can do is recognize what is it that is unique about us and about our experience and what can we do with that experience that contributes to the community, whatever we think of as community, whether it's our family unit or uh, a group of people, an organization that we belong to, a religious organization that we belong to, or a geographic town or country um, that we that we belong to, but really recognizing that all of us are different and you know what is it that we have to contribute and and add to just the amazing world that we live in mhm now take the flip side of that where can that be dangerous and you know we were chatting a little bit before we went on and one of my concerns is when we when we associate with people who are similar to us do we sometimes build walls of exclusion and we don't want people who are different? And religion is a key one for doing that. Um, there are probably others like sports, I don't know, we can think of, which is another religion in and of itself. 
So how do we balance supporting, finding people that are like us and yet not being so exclusionary that we alienate those who are not? Right, and I think it's about how we value the people around us. And if we put a higher value on people that are the same as we are in whatever way we want to characterize that, because no one's exactly the same, but if we put a higher value on the people that are the same as us and a lower value on people who are different from us, that's, I think, where we get into problems. Yeah. And yeah. I think that we can find a sense of security and um, comfort in being around people who are in some ways the same as we are. And I think that's a good thing. But it's when we start to say, because they're the same, they're better. Yeah, yeah. That the the, the problem comes in. Um, that you know, with our family, you know, sometimes we do things. We're more comfortable. We make ourselves at home um, in a more comfortable way with people who are familiar to us and share some similar characteristics. And if a stranger comes in, often we act better, um, you know, as long as we're we're valuing them as well and not uh, um, treating them badly. But sometimes we'll act better. We won't put our feet up on the table. We won't burp at dinner, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, when there's a stranger where when there's people that are very familiar to us, we uh, sometimes will act in ways that, you know, maybe would be considered bad behavior. But, right. Um, but, you know, it's it's good for us to be in a relaxed environment where we can really let it all hang out and really be who we are and feel like people will still care about us. Um, but it's also, I think, very important to value, uh, uh, really value the the stranger, value the person who's different, mm-hmm. because they may have skills and experience that we can learn from that we really can't learn in other ways. Right. Kimberly, you said um, earlier, before we were on the air, too, that you have two books that really resonated with you. One was Stranger in a Strange Land, and one was Albert Camus, The Stranger. How do the, those pieces of literature weave through your mind was your, when you're riding your bicycle and thinking of these thoughts of community and individual contribution and strangers and otherness? Right. You you may be familiar with the with the word to grok something, to grok or to understand. And the word grok comes from that book. It was coined uh, uh in that book, uh, Strangers in a Strange Land, and it was a a sense of understanding but through not through words but through a, a kind of telepathic understanding and the human that was in that situation with these aliens who could communicate telepathically um he couldn't grok or you know take that information in in an intuitive or telepathic way in the same way 
um, and he was very much a stranger in a strange land. And one of the things that I've really been thinking about is that in many ways we are all strangers in a strange land. And it, it really depends on what you focus on. Do you focus on the things that are so strange or do you focus on the things that like, oh, this this is like another experience that I had or this, you know, this person is, reminds me of mm-hmm. a family member or someone who I'm very familiar with, you know, and, and I think some of it is what do we focus on, um, that, that the strangeness is there and the familiarity is there um, and, you know, obviously this is the Creating Calm Network and one of the ways that we can calm ourselves is by recognizing the pattern and recognizing those familiar parts and recognizing the parts that don't seem to fit into the pattern. But sometimes there's an even larger pattern that we can look at and find those aspects of familiarity. The the other thing, um, and and the, the Albert Camus book, The Stranger, um, he feels very alienated from society and he feels very different from the people around him and and essentially that book really spoke to me because I grew up in different countries and mm-hmm. you know I was the foreigner I was the, right especially like the in Japan bingo. in Japan you yeah. would stand out you know I there I know there are other countries but I was just thinking of you in Japan when you said that and you don't look Japanese Right, right. And and we used to have a joke that uh, because children would come up to me and they would say, gaijin, gaijin, which means foreigner, or literally it means outside person. Mm-hmm. So there's like this boundary around the islands of Japan and people inside are Japanese and the people outside are outside people or gaijins. And so children would run up to me and they'd say, Gaijin, Gaijin. And I would, in Japanese, I would say to them, no, I'm I'm Japanese. And they'd look at me and they'd be like, what? You are not Japanese. And um, it's it's a play on words, but I would say to them, again, in Japanese, I'd say, how many legs do I have? And they would say, two. And as it happens, the, the word for Japanese person is Nihonjin. And that's also exactly the same way that you would say two-legged person. Ni (laughs) means two, and hon is the counter for cylindrical objects, and jin is the word for person. So two-legged person, of course, in Japanese, if you were to write this, it doesn't work because the way that you write Japanese person is more an indication person of the land of the rising sun and two-legged person means two-legged person, but you write them completely different, but the sound um, is the same. And so you can have the so pun I, with the sound, yeah. Yeah, so I would be saying, essentially, I'm a two-legged person, but they would hear it as I'm Japanese. And, <laughs> you know, but but as I even as I was saying those things, I knew that I would never be Japanese. Like, there's just not a way for me <laughs> Japanese. Yeah. You're going to grow up to be Japanese, Japanese. yeah. 
Yeah, I spoke Japanese, and I lived in Japan, and I learned a lot about the culture, but that still didn't make me Japanese. But I have an appreciation for Japan and the culture and the people that without that experience, I wouldn't have. And yet you think it hasn't been that many years ago that we were, we being Americans, were at war with Japan. Mm -hmm. And that was a time when all things Japanese were feared and um, considered very strange and um, considered in a very negative light. Because we and had made yet, them other. We had made them other. They are different. Right. And, and we make people other in order to hate them or to, to discriminate or, or um, do the violence that we did during the internments and things like that. Right. And I think that that is really a lesson to be learned. How quickly? You know, you think it's been, uh, I mean, just a little bit over uh, 50 years, right, um, since we were at war with a group of people that now are very accepted and, you know, um, yeah, accepted uh, in the world. And and I think there's a lesson there that that really it's not worth hating a group of people or going to war against a group of people because things change. Mm-hmm. And... You know, who knows who 50 years from now will look back and will say, oh, that was like so silly that we were afraid of those people or um, that we feared those people or that we cast those people into otherness or that we felt that they were so different that we couldn't understand them. You know, it, it could be just 50 years and and we'll look back and it'll just seem silly that that we weren't more accepting and more welcoming of the stranger or the person who is strange or different from us. Right. How can this be a lesson for those who want to create calm within chaos or those who want to be part of that global shift of of love and acceptance and and sending this vibration of peace around the globe because we do have the power to create peace around us. We just have to keep changing the vibration of those who are creating evil and otherness and hatred. Can uh, this is a big question, but you know, uh, how would you begin to to make that change for yourself and other people? Well, I, I think it might start, if you if you look on an intellectual level, it might start with um, thinking about who are the people that you think of as the most different from you. People that if you saw that a person um, either by their skin color or the way they, they dressed or what the words that they used, that might create a sense of fear or a sense of loathing or um, some kind of anger. Uh, Who are those people that would most fit into that category for you? Because it's going to be different for all different people. Um, And and then 
make a list of what are the things, what are the characteristics that you share with those people. I mean, we share 98% of our DNA with chimpanzees. And obviously, <laughs> I think a lot of people think of ourselves, I do, think of myself very differently from a chimpanzee. And yet, I share 98% of my DNA with a chimpanzee. So there are also still a lot of similarities between me and a chimpanzee. And so I think if you look at people, we share even more similarities. And so I think you can intellectualize it and um, and look at, at differences and similarities. And I think also opening your heart and when you get, you know, bring consciousness into that. When you meet somebody new, you know, bring a little bit of consciousness, a little bit of compassion and heart into thinking about what's my response to this person and how can I help them to feel more included, more loved, more appreciated, um, and and really look at what are those things that you can learn from from that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how can they be your teacher, and how can you find again that commonality? Where what what can you talk about that you can find in common and and honor in them? That's that's something that helps me. You know, when I'm and I'll, I'll put it this way, stuck with a stranger because I feel uncomfortable because I'm still have that shy streak, but if I open up and try to think, where can I connect here? We're going to have something in common somewhere. And so I started as a challenge, but then you settle into it, and it becomes a wonderful way to open up. Right, and I think really really getting on a heart level that everyone, you know, and, and maybe there aren't people, you know, People can call in and and let me know, or go over to our Facebook page and and let me know there if if there are people who don't feel any of that otherness, that difference. Um, but I think everyone feels different in some way, and mm-hmm. you know sometimes I think the best way to let go of our own feeling of otherness and strangeness is to look at someone else and think, wow, that person probably feels like they're not very well accepted in this group. What can I do to help them feel more welcomed, more included, more accepted? And I think that I find this anyway for myself, that when I turn it around and look at ways to help someone else feel more included, more accepted, then in turn I myself also feel better in that situation. Yeah, I was just going to say one of the other things I've been thinking about a lot is genetics because as I started out on the show, you know, seeing fields and fields of genetically identical corn and soybeans, um, you know, you can have identical twins, which means that the genetic material in that embryo started out exactly the same. But those two babies, those identical twins, they don't even they're not even born exactly the same. Right? Because 
the environment, even though they're both inside of one mother's womb, there's a little bit of difference in how that environment is for them. Mm-hmm. And then once they're born, you know, day by day, they become less and less the same. And so even people who are identically the same with experience are not the same, become different. And so I, I, one of the other things I think about is how our experiences change us and what experiences we choose to have. You know, I mean, I've, I've chosen to ride across the United States, a bicycle across the country, and there are definitely days when I think I must have been crazy to uh, <laughs> to have signed, voluntarily signed up for this. But this experience is changing me. And I think that if I bring that consciousness into that process as I'm going through this experience, that it changes me and makes me a better person. And I think all of us have experiences and have choices around what experiences we we choose to have, um, whether that's uh, in a work situation, choosing how our attitude is going to be in that work situation. That changes our experience of that work situation, can make it worse or better. Um, but exercising our choice in what experiences we have influences who we become and certainly it makes us more unique when there's that consciousness of choice and and where you're choosing on purpose things Um, but also it really helps us to understand ourselves and value those unique characteristics it's a big message, Kimberly, and we could probably even do a, a whole pro. It would be fun to do a call-in program with this, and maybe we will when you get back to uh, Hartford, just to to let people share their views on this because I, I think this well it impacts every single human being and animal on the planet. So why don't why don't we talk about that when you get home and see if we can do a call-in show where people can share some of their ideas with us. That that sounds great. It's less than two weeks. I'll be riding my bicycle into Washington, D.C., and then uh, driving back up to uh, Connecticut. And, you know, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about, too, is how is it going to be for me? I've been gone, Bill's been gone for nine weeks, and then integrating myself back into a situation which is very familiar and very comfortable for me, but I am a different person. Um, going even back your daily the, rhythm, uh, even your daily rhythm is going to change because for nine weeks you've had this rhythm of, you know, start your day, do your ride, make your camp, you know, so the whole rhythm is going to be different for you. Right. And and I think that there's going to be a lot of growth in that as well. I mean, certainly there's been a lot of growth for me on the ride, but I think how I choose to integrate those new parts of myself into my life will also uh, be an interesting journey to uh, continue. And certainly uh, I'm sure that it will come up in uh, future shows on uh, Monday Morning Coffee as part of the 
I, I bet hope. it will, and I hope it will. Kimberly, before we sign off today, would you let people know how they can follow your journey and also if they would like to contribute because you're doing this really to raise funds. Awareness is wonderful, but funds also help Hazone to continue doing the work that they do. So would you take a few minutes and just let people know about Hazone and, and your part in it? Yes, absolutely. I am uh, raising money for sustainability, uh, sustainable agriculture, which really to me translates into I care where my food comes from. I I care about where children that I interact with, where their food comes from. And I really hope that for generations to come, children will be able to pick an apple from a tree and take that first juicy crunch into the apple, that bite, um, and experience that and experience how to grow a beet or a, a plant, uh, a kale plant or a, a snap pea that um, for generations to come, we need to have healthy food to, available to everyone on this planet. And uh, so people can go to my website, www.kimberlyburnhamphd.com. That's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-B-U-R-N-H-A-M-P-H-D.com. And uh, there's a link on there. It says Hazone Cycling, and that will take you to my donation page. And there's also a lot of information on that page about uh, where I'm posting pictures and interviews and where you can uh, follow along. Um, I have a blog on Tumblr, the Hazone uh, Cross USA blog there. So um, I, I would love for you to, to follow along, uh, friend me on Facebook. And um, certainly if you have the funds to donate, uh, I think it's a, a magnificent cause, and um, that money will be used to, to help educate people and uh, create an environment where we really can live wonderful lives uh, on, now and into the future. Oh, I just admire you for doing this journey. You and your other, what, eight other people. You've got a team of about ten going across America. And uh, I, I know Hazone has done many, many bike rides because when I checked the website, I saw a lot of different kind of experiences. So anybody who's interested in sustainable agriculture, take a look at H-A-Z-O-N and um, friend them or follow what they do as well. Kimberly, it's been great talking to you. And where do you think you'll be next week? I'll be in uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Pittsburgh okay. next weekend and then Washington, D.C. Ooh. You know, I've kind of enjoyed your travels, actually. I'm kind of going to miss when you, of course, I'm sitting here in my easy chair while you're pedaling 100 miles through rain and, you know, hail or whatever heat you've had. So just just ignore me when I say I'm going to miss your ride. <laughs> it's a, it's been an amazing journey, very challenging but amazing. Yes, it is. Well, thank you for joining us, and we will hopefully catch up with you next week in Pittsburgh. Ride right, safe this week. Ride right, safe.